When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A military mind, nigga. A military mind means money. A criminal grind, nigga. A criminal grind means hustle. You know. We trade war stories. We outlaws on the rise. Jealous niggas I despise. Look in my eyes. We trade war stories. We outlaws. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Something happened last night in the movie world, Joe. I, I just can't remember. What the fuck? Some big? It's the uh, the something something annual Academy Awards. I can't remember which uh, edition it was at this point, but um, like every year, every time like the Academy Awards rolls around, I don't know if everyone's tired of the nominees getting mentioned. Like movies that you liked, even like a lot, loved possibly. You're just like, shut the fuck up about all of these movies, please, because you've <laughs> just been hearing about them for months at a time so uh the academy awards was last night um you know there were like i was uh o- overall the best picture was just kind of like not interesting to me um but uh the like the surprises i was i was pretty happy with i was pretty happy that roger deakins won for hell yeah cinematography you know for blade runner jordan peele best screenplay for get out um yeah. Uh, Allison Janney for Itania, I thought was really awesome. I was uh, hoping Laurie Metcalf would kind of take that one for Lady Bird, but but Janney is just as deserving, and it is the more like it's kind of the Joe Pesci and Goodfellas role. So I get why the Academy gave her it, but I I kind of thought Laurie Metcalf might take that one. But yeah, from happens. the same year, uh, Dances with Wolves took Best Picture, and like Shape of Water really is the Dances with Wolves of uh, 2017. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Um, well, that's better than yeah. what'd you say last night? You compared it to Crash and Forrest Gump. Forrest, yeah, because like all most best pictures are just sort of like, you know, uh, Courtney pointed out like it's like, no, it's going to be more like the artist where it's just like it's, you know, everybody sort of like fawns over how adorable it is. And then it just like gets relegated to never being mentioned again. <laughs> mm, he laughs with an evil smirk. Why don't you twiddle your mustache, you fucker? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, we don't have to belabor it, but I think Shape of Water is uh, everybody knows who listens to this show. We we I praised it. You were not as big on it, but I I think it's a really radical kind of best picture win. Uh, radical is too strong of a word because it's very yeah, much immediately. <laughs> yeah, it's let me backpedal immediately. But I guess in the way it's a radical decision by the Academy because these are the kind of movies you didn't like this one in particular. Or you weren't crazy for it, Joe, but like mm-hmm. it is a genre movie. It's a fantasy, bizarro, sci-fi hybrid, um, you know, with musical segments. It's got all this stuff going on. And um, like Get Out winning screenplay for Jordan Peele, that's another one, dude. Those are horror movies. They never take horror movies seriously. And I just think those wins are um, on a sort of broad uh, like looking at the history of the Academy, I think that's a step forward for those movies being taken seriously. Um, but it'll be, it will be interesting to see how time treats 
something like Shape of Water because that does happen. I mean, the artist, everybody loved it when it came out and it is not really discussed unless it's in like cinephile circles like us and we kind of knock on it. So, um, yeah. I'm definitely feeling early pushback already. I mean, if Twitter's anything to to behold in the the film critic community, there's plenty of people that seem to be on your page. But I don't know, man. I think it's I think that movie's going to age plenty well. And Pan's Labyrinth, you know, Del Toro's previous like movie that won some Oscars, mm-hmm. is more than ten years old, and people still talk about it, uh, you know, fondly from from my anecdotal uh, experience. So. Um, we'll, we'll see how it all pans out. These things do have a way, you know, history has a way of revealing what a movie's true worth is. So, so we'll just have to, you know, when we're recording 10 years from now, Joe, we'll, we'll remember to bookmark this date. Yeah, it was, that was a really sly wordplay. We'll see how it pans out. And you <laughs> breezed right over it. Like you, you didn't have your, your moment winking at the camera. So I appreciate that, Eric. That was nice. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. It, like, the, because, you know, like this year, you know, and in in recent years, there is like a, a it's always political, whatever's going to like be the big winner. And sometimes like they'll choose like a super innocuous movie to avoid the, the politics of the given year. But like this year seemed to be just especially, you know, sort of like charged and politicized and like a movie that even seemed to be taking uh, a political stance and like a sort of, you know, noticeably liberal political stance, three billboards mm. like that came under fire as being like having like its own sort of like malignant thinking that people were like, you know, fuck this movie. And so like, it was just, it was so electrified. And like, even though there's, there's a sense of representation, diversity, and you know, like there's, there's a, a liberal lean to shape of water. It, is kind of like an innocuous movie, Mm. you know, it's just like, it is a fantasy that does have the whimsy of the Genot movies, uh, you know, like delicatessen and Amelie. And so like, it is, I think that like a safer choice might've been like lady bird, but like a movie like get out or three billboards, like it's just, it's just too loaded and like politicized. I think get out really had like a chance I think so too. But because of the apprehension towards like a genre movie, you know, like even despite its politics being like completely aligned with like where we are and where we need to be, you know, it just like it still, the genre worked against it, which is a shame because like the two things working in tandem with each other, like the fact that it's a phenomenal genre movie and packs like a subversive political kind of message, social and political message. Like, I think that's why that movie is a fucking force to be reckoned with. Yeah, man. But so Academy Awards, they happened. Um, I went to go see one of the films we're going to be discussing today out of two uh, at a matinee yesterday. And most of Hollywood was kind of shut down road closures for the actual Oscar proceedings. And um, where I went to go see one of the films, Foxtrot, uh, it was uh, dead. It was dead at the movie theater because I think people were just like all attention was going towards the event that was going to be later that day. Not even at the same theater. But like people are just like, yeah, all right, enough already. Like we've just been talking about movies so much. So I saw Foxtrot in an audience of five. Um, and uh that was it was a Israeli's pick as a Oscar contender. It did not get a nomination. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but like just sitting there and like being in a sort of ill and underattended screening, I don't know. It just felt it maximized an impact the movie had in a weird way. And um, it's a, it's a movie that very potently kind of focuses on uh, a horror and a sorrow of like grief and existing in the world today that our our other film we're going to be discussing death of Stalin. Um, like they both concentrate on a kind of like the, the potentials of dealing of trauma in the world, either of today or in yesteryear, but like how both films ultimately confront the horrors of existing, like either in states of, you know, endless war or just in the sort of throes of corrupt politics. Like it, they're radically different approaches to dealing with those things. I think tie them together ultimately. And, Mm -hmm. um, so if you want to just, uh, you know, kind of tumble into, into Foxtrot and how, like, I think it's interesting how the film came up for us because you saw it how long ago? saw it a, a close to a month ago at the beginning of the Portland International Film Festival. It was actually the second movie I saw of the festival. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's been making the rounds, um, played Toronto, played like AFI Fest, and, you know, just recently played the Portland International Film Festival. And... You had mentioned it as uh, like we could sort of broadly bring it into a discussion of like comedies. I don't, I'm not going to, you know, chastise you for this because you see you're like, I didn't say it was a comedy, you asshole. But um, <laughs> it, it it's definitely like after you said that, like and sitting in it and being like, how is this even remotely being misconstrued as a comedy? Not by you necessarily, but also by like the publicity about the movie because the trailer gives the impression that this is just like not wacky, but it's definitely like a charming movie (laughs) and the movie has a loneliness to it and a coldness. And there there's, there's a humanity like at work at all times, but there's a harshness that kind of like uh, gives it a kinship to Yorgos Lanthimos work, you know, especially with killing of a sacred deer from last year. Like there's just like there's a there's a weird focused brutality to the filmmaking. And it's like from the from the gate, like the movie is so quiet conversely to uh Death of Stalin's like noisiness. Yeah. <laughs> that like um in the opening couple minutes of Foxtrot where um two Israeli soldiers come to basically tell um some parents that their son has died in combat. And um, the movie is like just like stunningly suffocatingly quiet and like every introduction of noise calls traumatic attention to itself. And like that is like that's, you know, like that's such a potent way to sort of like deal with how grief and trauma like knocks you into another orbit. Yeah. And um, how, like, basically being alive is, like, the noise that we create amidst the inevitable silence that will, like, take us, you know? And so it's just, like, at the very beginning, the first few minutes of the movie, like, every cut has, like, a purpose and, like, a brutal purpose. And not not brutal, like, in the terms of, like, you should avoid seeing this movie because it's going to, like, bum you out. It will. But, um... (laughs) 
there's an energy to every cut and like seeing that and seeing like how purposeful and specific to where like the opening shot is trained on, on going down this road and the tension that like builds from like watching a, you know, a dashboard uh, POV of going down this sort of like dirt road in like a sort of desolate countryside. And then it like cuts to a loud door buzzing and like the energy that that creates with one specific cut, one specific sound cue, it's just like, Oh, this is like what I feel I'm missing from the overly hectic, overly energetic, purposeless spectacles of like most movies mm-hmm. and like the the just like the focus on concentrating on what life feels like in absurd times is like was was such a was so refreshing even though i felt myself lost through a good portion of the opening of the movie feeling like when is this going to become a comedy again right <laughs> like, right right, right. Cause it like there were, there's no levity in the movie, essentially. Like it's a sort it's a lonely feeling film. And I think that people shouldn't avoid that necessarily. I feel like it's, it's potent and a sobering jolting movie at times, even as it lapses into sort of like dreamy meditative moments, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like everything I'm like, I'm trying to describe the strengths of the movie, but it's like, I'm so worried about people being meditative, brutal, Jesus Christ, I don't want to watch this, you know? Exactly, like, no, exactly, exactly right? right? That's, <laughs> that's the thing, the thing that makes that this makes movie the- rise above for me is like, and it's, let's just look at it in terms of what it is for, yeah. um, it's, you kind of already talked about it's sort of festival path to this time where it's coming out to some theaters in the US, major cities with art house theaters will get this movie. Yeah. Um, it's a festival movie and a lot of those, the dime a dozen type of movies that deal with any sort of trauma or grief or loneliness uh, or an anti-war message as this movie very strongly. I feel overall, I feel like this in broad strokes, Foxtrot is an anti-war movie. Um, I think you got to look at that. Like you and I have definitely talked about this before. There is just a typical sort of social realist, miserableist type of movie that comes from this from this type of storytelling or the desire to tell a story about those things. Yeah. And Foxtrot is certainly on paper and in your description and your sounds like your experience one of those movies. It is emotionally traumatic at times. But I would mm-hmm. argue it's all for the good. It's that empathy machine quality that we've gone on about where like I didn't know that things like this happened or, or that's, that's too descriptive. Uh, I guess another side note is we're going to have to be vague about this movie in terms of plot. And you were so far. So I want to just let listeners know, like don't try not to read too much about this movie or know about where it goes because the delight for me beyond the fact that it so clearly from the beginning is working on a visual editorial sonic level that is just it's cinema. It's, it's a real director made this movie. Someone that has a, a vision to tell this story. Mm-hmm. That was very clear to me and very exciting. Although it takes a bit of a time to really ramp up in that. The other thing is, is, uh, is Foxtrot is just, I kind of lost my train of thought. It's just, it, it, it surprised me more than anything, I guess. I, it, the key is just don't know too much about this movie going in because for me, the most exciting thing about it is, that beginning 
is a bit of a slog because it starts to, despite some of the hard edits you're talking about and the sort of crafting of visuals and things that the movie's sort of quietly doing to introduce the story, it is still a 20 or 30 minute thing where you're like, okay. And this is the only part I, I think I really want to reveal about the story is <clears throat> uh, a man and his wife uh, are during this, when the doorbell rings and the military officers tell, I, I don't think you describe this, but they tell them that his son has been killed in battle. Um, I did. You did. I got, well, at least I listened, right? Um, well, we'll just reiterate. His son died in battle. They're there to tell him. And it's 20 or 30 minutes of like, oh, gosh, is this what this movie's going to be? And I, I, I don't know if that's exactly what you were experiencing in the beginning, but I was like, okay, like, I think I've seen this kind of movie many times, but I, I want to have patience. And I guess my only tip is, because I don't really think it's worth revealing much beyond that plot-wise, is that stick it out because there's a reveal at the end of the first act that then reshapes the movie. And then at the end of every act um, or at the end of the second act, there's another, it's wrong to call these twists, I would think, but like there are, um, it's a reveal. Yeah. Yeah. A moment, a reveal in the end of the first act, end of the second act has a horrific, like really sad one. And then the kind of the like beginning of the third act has another one that then brings the story all back around. And uh, I was as soon as that first reveal happened, I was like, okay, all bets are off. I feel like I'm in the uh, what are they the sunken place and get out. I I felt like Daniel Kaluuya, like floating. And I'm like, I don't know where this movie's taken me. I was suspicious of the directorial hand at first, and now I'm totally entrusting this person, and I'm and I'm with it, and I'll fall, and I'll just trust fall that this person's going to take me somewhere. And um, I want to hand it off to you, uh, and so I don't keep blabbing, but from there is when the movie took on definitely at more extreme absurdist levels of it. But that's that middle chapter is where I started to see some of the comedy come forward. Uh, dark comedy, no de- doubt, but it's the comedy of loneliness. It's the comedy of boredom for soldiers mm-hmm. like this. And I'll, I guess just a few things that come to mind is like, there's a dance. Uh, the, the son character in this movie is given moments. Um, you, you see some of his time in action and they are at this outpost on a road where they basically are there to raise uh, like a bar up so cars can pass by. They're there to check IDs basically. And there are all these sort of absurd comical shots of like a camel walking by. Like that's how bored these guys are that they just are there to, you know, raise the bar for a camel to walk by. And then he does the Foxtrot dance with his machine gun. To, to me, that's when I started like laughing. I honestly, I was like laughing a lot uh, during those moments. So it has moments of humor peppered in there. I think to sort of, exclaim like to to amplify the absurdist levels of this of the story yeah sure um (laughs) i think that i mean i think that even in like a movie like killing of a sacred deer there's there's a rhythm to it that lends itself to like uh even as cold and as austere as that movie feels there is like there there's at least a rhythm that's identifiable to the absurdism of exchanges in sacred deer that you're like, Oh, okay. Like this is like, this is ridiculous. Even if it is like vicious, there still is like a comedy to it. And like the scene that you're describing the dancing, which is like transfixing, like it's it's an incredible sequence in the movie. Mm -hmm. It's the first explosion of sound and of like movement 
in what is basically just like a patient um, meditation on like on just grief and trauma. And uh, uh, I'm going to I'm going to give the audience a uh, warning. A dog is kicked in the very first uh, like 10 to 20 minutes of this movie. Yeah. And uh, you didn't give me a heads up, which like, you know, that's okay, Eric. But um, I usually am good about that. I, I, I think it might have just been a result of the flood of movies I was watching at the time. Cool. But you're right. That is a, a harsh moment for sure. It's fucked up. And like and I, I again, I'm puzzled at world cinema's insistence on brutality to like the world is a vast place. So to like generalize it by saying world cinema, <laughs> but it's like not it, American. <laughs> There's a sentimentalism, I think, to pets in uh, American films that, like, you know, sometimes that's violated for effect. But, like, there's a disregard, I think, in just most, like, PIF titles, I feel like, where it's like, want to see animals get hurt? Come to the Portland International Film Festival. And, like, it just, it's for effect. It's not just, like, a a slight moment that, like, is purposeless. Right, it's it's for character detail, right? Right, and everything in the first like everything in this movie is purposeful, even if it feels like a tangent and a whim. And like, in that sense, I feel like there's an energy to every choice. Like I said earlier, like to, to every cut, to every, like to every moment. And there's that energy, I think has the potential for comedy and for relief and release, like the, the way you were experiencing with it. And like the middle section definitely has the absurdism of like people waiting, waiting for anything to happen. And like, there's just like there's such a poetry to the the kind of gritty realism of the movie, you, you know, and I don't, like it's just uh, I like I worry that like using words like patience, like meditation, like, you know, or meditative, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're they're so off putting that they're just like, I get it. I don't need to see it, you know, like and right. there's it's just it's such a shame because to me, there's more energy in a single edit in like the beginning portion of this movie and there's more like you really have to surrender to the pace that's like that the movie's dictating because like the middle section really was where like I I lost myself in it as well mm. and there were just like there were there was a focus there was like the way the camera would train on certain things it's not boring. It's fascinating. And so it was just like an exchange between two people, one of the guards and like someone waiting in their car, the way they would look at each other, the way a woman being asked to get out of the vehicle and stand in the rain, the way that is just like tragic in a way. Yeah. And like, you know, there's just, there's a fascination that happens with like when the camera slows down, when it focuses, that's like, it's not boring. It's not impatient. It is like crucial in order to like, access something that we're we need to reckon with as the world feels like it's lost in like terminal war and that like we're we're all just being like actively traumatized all the time by things and never really getting a proper way to deal with it yeah man i i feel like here's another word that's gonna probably turn some potential viewers of this movie off but it is about the dehumanization of soldiers but also the ripple effect that happens there where Mm -hmm. the parents that have to to sort of like in the families left when soldiers are either killed in action or or whatever but let's just say killed in action which is what this movie's trying to deal with is that 
there's just this ripple effect where like we we are left to pick up the pieces and the movie deals with that I think very effectively and then also that dehumanization of like we just Dunkirk got this idea across very strongly too we just send these boys into war mm-hmm. and and more and more uh girls too um but like but children children exactly these are fucking kids that we're sending into these situations and in Israel you have to be in in the army for a set period of time. I believe it's a, a, a mandate. It's something you have to do. Yeah. Um, and knowing that or having that bit of information makes this movie, I think even more effective for me where it's like, ah, oh, just this absurdity. We send these, these kids to do this dumb shit and what are they even doing there? And then, um, bizarrely, it all gets wrapped around in like, in some instances, I thought of like the big Lebowski, the terms of like the absurdist, like miss, uh, misunderstandings taking place. Uh, like there's, there's all these different things wrapped up in this movie that, um, that really so much of it shouldn't work. And I'm increasingly more impressed by movies that can walk like a tonal, high wire, you know, like a higher wire act. And I feel like this movie just does it constantly and it, te- it might test the, a lot of viewers patience, but I, I do feel like it's, it's, it's rewarding, even though it is all the things we've said, those, those sort of tough, like anti buzzwords that you hear in foreign films that we're sort of spouting. Mm-hmm. It's worth it because this movie, I think through like cinematic storytelling, like it, it, this this story needed to be a movie. It didn't need to be a TV show. It didn't need to be a book or a documentary. It had to be a film. And I just, I'm really impressed by that. And I actually didn't realize it when I saw it, but the director of this movie, Samuel Maus, or Maus, I'm probably mispronouncing that, but he made a movie called Lebanon about, mm-hmm. you remember that one where everybody's in the tank and the movie's in the tank the whole time? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if, did you see it at the time? I, I can't remember. No. Okay. It, I, I Isn't remember. That Brad Pitt in it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was Fury, right? Fury and Lebanon double yeah. feature, man. Um, yeah, or Best Defense with Dudley Moore and Eddie Mur- Murphy. No, I, okay. I don't know that, but your reference game is so strong lately, Joe. I'm, I believe you. That sounds like a movie. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but Lebanon is. Um, I thought. I remember thinking that was a very effective movie, and it's got that stylistic conceit. It does not leave the tank, so you're in there with these Israeli soldiers and that as they have to make these decisions and it's very immersive. I guess that's what I'm getting at. This director is trying to move beyond the social realist aesthetic of movies like this, that he's clearly making these kind of movies, but he's trying to give you an immersionist, uh, an experiential uh, thing he's going for. And I just think he's, uh, Lebanon was solid. I, I thought it was like a solid movie, but Foxtrot to me just seems like this big step up where I'm like, man, what is this guy? Like, this is a really strong piece of work, I think. And, um, I don't know, man. Like I, I, I guess all I can say in closing on Foxtrot for me is like, I, if a movie can like take me on this kind of ride where I, by the end, I had no idea where it was going to go. And I would say the third act is maybe a bit of a letdown in comparison, but I actually really liked where it circled back literally in the end and where it gets to with these, the characters that are left in the story. And I was even, um, I was even impressed by the the opening shot you referenced. It's a van mm-hmm. going. We have no idea what it is or why it's there. It's just no context, but it's a van dash cam shot driving down a desolate road. The movie literally foxtrots back to that shot at the end because the foxtrot dance we learn is about doing a circle and ending up back, but a little further than you did before. 
And that's what the movie does. Cause then it reveals what that shot was about all along. And while it's sort of almost, it's, it, it's a fine line. It borders on being almost too cutesy in a cinematic storytelling way in the, the way everything sort of touches back. But I think it really worked. It was effective and it, it, sort of like it got me emotionally. And again, the characters that were left to pick up the pieces, I really loved watching their struggle together and the, the sort of time breaks, the time jumps the movie would take. I, I loved picking up the pieces of like, Oh man. So this is what happened to them because of this. And mm-hmm. um, the movie, the movie allows your intelligence to, to fill in the blanks, yeah. but also wants it, this movie does want to like give you a good cinema experience. It's just gonna, it's gonna get you. I mean, I think it's funny in the middle, but it is a sad movie by the end. I was, I was definitely in tears by the end. So I get why that audience was quiet when you were there, that, that lonely five person audience. Yeah. Well, it was quiet. Cause there's, it was next to no one. So, you know, <laughs> nobody is often quiet, but, um, like I feel like there's a there's a potentiality, not a word, um, potential for um, um, there's a, the potential for immersion is like almost only possible with cinema, you know, with mm-hmm, like with mm-hmm. going to the movies and like there's there's a focus that like giving yourself over to it is rewarding and like that's what this movie sort of invites you to do and it's like it's got a tone and an atmosphere that's like it's hard to deal with you know like a lot of you know there there aren't a lot of like contemporary american directors trafficking in the same sort of like emotional psychological terrain that a lot of kind of i feel like you know uh international directors do like Michael Haneke or, you know, Yorgos Lanthimos is an, an American director. And so like, you know, thinking about a movie like a where like, you're just like, you're, you're trapped, you're locked into this immersive experience and like there's beauty and there's terror in it. And like this film is the same way that it's like, there, there is no easy way to sell this film. And I feel like that's like the, the misdirect of, um, Sony Sony's like advertising campaign is that there really is no easy sell for this. Cause like, you know, you were saying like a, a, a movie like this walks a fine line between like w- it's, it's sort of balance of tones mm-hmm. and like it's, and that's truly the work of somebody who's in an intuitive storyteller that they don't like there, there is like, there's an art form to genre, of course, but like when you don't have the sort of easy leanings of a genre sort of mechanism at work, then you just have to follow the, the intuition of storytelling, you know? So like, that's what he would, he had something he clearly wanted to communicate, even if at times it felt like, you know, uh, vague or you know like he wasn't hammering a point home Mm. but he he had like a sort of feeling he wanted to elicit and like that that's an entirely intuitive experience and i think one that like film lends itself to beautifully and like yeah so like i just i worry that you know like I was going to take Courtney to see it. And she was like, yeah, the movie seems too charming for me. And, uh, (laughs) all right, I'll, I'll go see it. And like, immediately I was like, they, this is not that movie. (laughs) Not sure that it would have been any more enjoyable, but like, I wonder the audience that the, cause it's like, it's a, it uses the music 
of the foxtrot scene where it's like that's it's that explosion of sound mm-hmm. to i think score the entire trailer which like that's a gigantic misdirect yeah you know like and to be like oh it's like a it's it's like a it's like a romp and you're like do you really want to trick like an audience to see a movie that's like playfully dealing with hard subjects when it's like only harshly dealing with hard subjects, you know, like it's a tough call for marketing movies like this, right, man. They just, yeah. it's, the audience is getting smaller and smaller. The theatrical audience is getting smaller and smaller for these kind of movies. So yeah, deception starts to come into play there, man. I mean, we even see that in the biggest of the biggest movies, right? Like this deceiving, like if they're not going to show you everything in the trailer, they will show you so little or one focused thing that it serves to kind of, uh, you know, think about what A24 does with stuff like It Comes at Night or The Witch. You know, they have to sell those movies and they're tough sells. They're not as tough a sell as Foxtrot. But uh, yeah, I think I think that's what we're seeing. And that's so interesting. I need to watch the trailer for Foxtrot now because I didn't realize I, I don't think I've actually seen it. So um, that's really interesting, man. So she thought it was going to be some sort of like bullshit, like shape of what kind of might what have bugged you guys about Shape of Water almost like it was just going to be too kind of cloying and like, you yeah. know. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just like, you know, I feel, I feel like a two four does a good job with, um, you know, at, at the, like they may have to trick horror audiences into seeing their movies. But like, I think that if, if you're willing to surrender to what the film's strengths actually are, you won't get hung up on like needing the sort of like quick fix of genre storytelling. Like you'll just go in for like, the actual impact that the story is delivering. And like, if I mean, I, I feel like I shouldn't have watched the trailer and like, there's a case to be made for that anymore. Cause it was just like, I knew enough about Foxtrot to not, not like once I sat down to watch it, like it would have been more beneficial to not have any sort of preconceived notion of it. That's just not possible though. With mm-hmm. like audi- audiences need to have it so finely tuned about what they're going to see that they often, just want a movie to constantly be dictating what they're watching to be like, this is this kind of movie. Get it. And you're like, I got it. I'm leaving. You know? And like, <laughs> yes. And you know, I did that last time with the sort of <laughs> preemptive response to like, I'm clapping now, you know, but it's just yeah. like, that's what it feels like. Like I've had, you know, really deeply intelligent friends. Like I'll see a trailer and be like, that's stunning. That trailer's stunning. And they'll be like, I don't get what it's about. And it's just like, why do you need to, why do you, why does everything have to be fine tuned into dictating what, what it is like above and beyond for you to be interested, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't There's know. a lot of shit floating around there. Everybody's too cluttered in their mind. You know, it, we, we, this we're, we're just sounding like broken records probably at this point, but yeah, it, it's such Movie an uphill. Spectacle <laughs> fatigue. Of, holy fuck. How many years are they going to drone on about this shit? <laughs> Yeah, and I, I guess uh, I think we should spin to to our other movie. But I I, I I think the last thing I'll say is like I only sort of play my f- card on movies like this to you. What maybe three four times a year as we do the this podcast in terms of foreign films that I see. They're usually foreign films that where I'm like, hey, like I'm not saying you are averse to these movies, Joe. It's just. Um, I, 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 there are movies like this where I'll be like, it's sort of me asking if you're willing to go for it, you know, and Mm -hmm. and you do that too with, with movies that you really want to see. And I've always enjoyed that trade-off that we had, but, um, just to maybe tell people 
while keeping this movie vague enough that like, hey, we recommend or I recommend at least go see Foxtrot if you can. But um, I don't do this very often. And we have another film uh, coming up that probably I'll be the only one talking about because it might not be available for you anymore. But the Russian film Loveless uh, is coming up too. And there's just only a few movies a year where I'm like, can we please try to talk about it? Because uh, Foxtrot just blew me away in, in that way where I was actually surprised by the movie because I was allowed to be surprised because I sort of didn't, I didn't know much else about it beyond the fact that it was getting attention uh, in the foreign language category. And some writers in the playlist really took to it. Uh, our awards writer, Gregory Elwood, really went for that movie. So I kind of just noted it in my brain and then I got to see it and it it did blow me away. But um, uh, maybe that's because I just didn't have this other clutter in there. But uh, yeah, it's rarer that I, that I go for these, that I push these kind of movies onto you. But uh, this was one that even though, you know, mixed bag I'm reading from you in terms of your experience. Uh, uh, well, you're not, Eric, you're not listening to me, are you? No, no. like I've, <laughs> I've like, I felt like I've been pretty strongly in favor of this movie. I just was like the, the sort of pre preconception of what it was like, which has nothing to do with the film itself. Like I'm not holding it to what the publicity department is insisting people think about it. So yeah, I thought it was like, what, how did you get that? I thought it was a mixed bag. Oh, I, maybe it's more that you're, I'm, I, I'm not listening. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, this, this audience. Kind of- you want to, you want to chime in and see if you thought that I liked the movie or not. Oh, we'll do a Twitter vote. Did Joe like Foxtrot? Yes or no. Um, it's hard to say. He seems grouchy about everything. Even if he likes something. That's the complexity you get on AYT. It's it's just you got to dig deep. You got to dig deep. So fair enough. I'm wrong. You're right. Let's move on. Um. <laughs> Stalin's dead. Stalin is dead. Lookalikes. I think their contract's up. We need change. How can you run and plot at the same time? Nobody's gonna get killed. I promise you. What's a war hero got to do? Get some lubrication around here. I know the drill. Smile, shake hands, and try not to call them. One day, my brother just rode a pig through here. Oh, that must have been messy. (laughs) It was terribly messy. Stalin will be loving this. All of you can kiss my Russian ass. I'm off to represent the entire Red Army at the buffet. You girls enjoy yourself. So, yeah, our, our next film is uh, similarly dealing with horrors of a, of, of a, you know, a different variety and from a different era. This um, Foxtrot took place, you know, in present day. Uh, Death of Stalin, our next film, uh, takes place in the early 1950s. Um, around the time of Stalin dying, title gave it away, and uh, it's uh, directed, written, and directed by Armando Iannucci. Yes, yes. Um, who created, co-created in the Loop and uh, HBO's Veep, and like this is another thing that like uh, once I saw in the Loop, uh, I was just like, the like this is just pleasure to me seeing terrible people talk poetically like in a in a with a poetic vulgarity to each other at like Mach 10 speeds like like who doesn't love this this is a sunset this is just like 
a given beautiful thing that everybody can collectively cherish together, right? No, because like I, <laughs> I was at my uh, my parents' place last summer and Veep was on. It was like a new episode of Veep. I'm like, oh yes, great, everybody, right? Isn't everybody excited to watch Veep? And like everybody was polite because they're my family and they were just like looking. They're like, I don't like this show. I don't like it either. Yeah, I've never really liked it. I don't like it. I was like, holy shit. I'm the only person in this room of six people that's insisting we watch this. Like, <laughs> and so like to me, it's like a given that something like that beautifully written, something that sort of like sharp, acerbic, like and at such a like breathless clip, like that is just pleasure incarnate to me. Yeah. Um but like not for everybody and like, <laughs> this this movie like elevates what uh he can do as a writer and a filmmaker to to do something that is like kind of genuinely cinematic in its scope and its detail because it's a historical movie <laughs> what he doesn't bother himself with is like you know, things like accents, like this takes place in Russia. They're speaking English and oftentimes with British accents, like <laughs> Buscemi's in the movie, zero trace of Russian accent. Cause like, who gives a shit? What it's ultimately communicating is the foibles of like flawed, corrupt people and the high speed that they like act at. And like the difference in between the two films is that like, it's concentrating on like just the horrors of an existence that's like you know of of just systems that are outside of your control whether it's war and in this sense it's a corrupt totalitarian government um but like this movie moves at a breakneck speed talks at a breakneck speed and like whisks you through what's like a gauntlet and a carnival of like still horrifying things that never makes a joke out of the horror but it like it moves at such a clip that you're just like, oh, there's no time to stop to process how awful things are like <laughs> state mandated executions that are happening off camera where you're just like hearing the shot and hearing, you know, um, long live Stalin and then pop and a body falls. And you're just like, that's not they're not making a joke out of that. There's an absurdism to it that's like, you know, can't, is darkly blackly comedic, but it's not a joke. You know, and so it's just like having that duality of absurd circumstances moving at such a brisk pace while like horrors are still being experienced and like, you know, taking their toll is like, that's a pretty, uh, pretty prescient thing to, uh-huh. to watch. <laughs> but I don't think that, like, I think he's really smart in focusing on this time period because it's like how, like, Veep takes place in like, you know, an alternate reality, but to our current times. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I think this is a way to capture the absurdity of a current moment while still having the safety of having it be bottled in a period piece. Yeah. I mean, I imagine the, so much of what you described um, that sort of the the clip that the movie just runs at. It's just like this brisk and it's the talking. It's that classic Ianucci thing, like in the loop or veep, all that stuff where they just talk at such a rabbit clip and the fucking swearing in this movie. It's just beautiful. All of his movies, right? Veep and or veep the show, at least the stuff he did in the first season or two. And then 
Um, yeah, like the the swearing is so good. Love good vulgarity in a movie. Yeah. Um, Poetic vulgarity. Po- like it's- yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of what he does is pretty improv heavy where they're just letting these guys riff. But I think the magic of his movies, I guess I don't know for sure. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I it, they feel improv but not in that loosey goosey Judd Apatow way, which I'm not knocking that. That's fine for what it is. But this seems more honed and it doesn't feel as improv because it seems as though the actors are just so locked in to, even though Steve Buscemi's playing like cruciate, like a major actual political figures from this era of the Soviet union, they embrace the fact, like you said, the absurdity of like, it, it just all adds to this absurdist jumble that, um, and that breakneck pace. I think that really locks you in, uh, as a viewer to maybe even a sliver of what it might be like to live through such extreme like dictatorship, such extreme, like straight up, just like uh cleansing of people. Like they are getting, that's a bad word to use. They are using, they're getting rid of people in this movie. It is, it is, it is like throwing that in your face. And I just imagine the breakneck pace and where your brain is trying to catch up with it all as it's happening in the movie must be somewhat akin to the survivalist instinct that might take over for someone where you're kind of at your apartment with your loved ones. And you're just waiting for that knock on the door where you're going to be the one that gets taken off to be shot and getting rid of, um, the fact that that movie, the movie just gets that. I don't know. It's very impressive experience. And I only have watched this movie so far on my computer while I was at work. And it totally locked me in with that. Uh, and, um, to add to that pace that, uh, the experience of it, this movie is, I feel like Inucci is really stepping up his like visual game. And you're, you're talking about it. There are all these roving, moving camera shots where if you're looking in the edges of the frame, there's like a real busyness going on because you're just seeing the, you're seeing this freaking like execution. These, this process just happen while all these other people in charge just coldly walk through it. Like it's their day-to-day existence. It's like a clockwork of just like business as usual, which like is something that Foxtrot shares is there's Mm -hmm. like, there's an absurdity to the ticks of business continuing, you know, whether it's the business of the military coming to counsel grieving parents and like the, the things that they offer you to do, like in the face of unbelievable tragedy, or it's the, the ticks of business of like people decision-making while like, you know, citizens are being ruthlessly executed. Like there's an absurdity to a business in the face of unimaginable horrors that like death of Stalin accesses and like, it's, it's just so like, it's so potent and so mean, but like with, with the, <laughs> with a buoyancy that like is unbelievable. It's to me, it's like a, it's another, it's a different kind of high wire act because mm-hmm. it's just like it, like it's pace is crucial. Like I, I think the pacing and atmosphere of both films, even though they're polar opposites are so crucial to like, what pays off about the movies and so like how fast the movie moves and how like every detail is fine tuned, even if the camera's whisking through the hallways of like, you know, these, these like big buildings and like it's as ornate you mentioned, like it, it had a level of sort of like 
meticulous detail akin to like Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. but it was like, it's not precious enough to slow down to focus on like, look, this character is dressed like the wallpaper, you know? Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Isn't that cute? Like, it's just like, they have no time for cute in this movie. It's just like, it's barreling through everything and it's fucking, it's harsh and it's like unbelievable. And like, and it's just like, I, there's no one working at the clip quite that he he's able to get to Hmm. you know like i'm grateful for things like black mirror and the sort of super sharp writing that charlie brooker can do but like the the level of like rapid fire critique is just it's so refreshing you know especially like as we're sort of entering or have been in a gauntlet of horrors you know like being alive right now where it's like we can barely keep track of like what each new tragedy is, let alone accurately process them. And like, and on top of that, we have strikingly inarticulate people talking about it at all times. And we're looking either to children or to entertainers to articulate what we're desperately trying to make sense out of, you know, you know what I mean? Like we're just in this time. And so like in, in Ianucci's world where it's like people are, are hyper articulate, barbarically profane. And if they're not articulate in the case of Jeffrey Tambor's character, his, <laughs> like, his inarticulateness is like, has its own poetry to it. His ineptitude it has its own kind of sense of like brutal, brilliant timing to it. And so, yeah, this, uh, it was like, I, I same thing to not watch it at work, but I watched it, you know, as a screener link and my like face hurt from laughing as much as I did. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, right, right from the beginning, dude, like Patty Considine is, uh, in this like radio. Oh my God. Oh and my like, God. I think, yeah. Okay. Sorry. I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but like he's, he plays a yeah conductor <laughs> or no, he's, yeah, he's administering a, a radio broadcast for, um, an orchestra. He's right? like a radio engineer. He's recording it supposed to be recording. It. <laughs> yeah. And like, and so I think this is where, like, if you feel a sense of improviness come from, like from the movie, like it's just like the little ticks of the actors in the movie who like, they're giving you, like they're giving you magic. Like he's, he communicates while he's taking this terrifying phone call. <laughs> he communicates to his like assistant. He's like, my fucking pen's not working. And he's just like, he does it in like a spasm of like, da, da, da. and you're just like, that probably came from like running the scene and, you know, like several times, but it's like shaved down to a perfect moment of just like blithering kind of idiocy. And it's just like, <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah. Where it trims all the fat of like overly indulgent, improv kind of feeling comedies you because there is like a razor sharp precision to like most of what Ianucci does. Yeah. So true, man. So true. I, ah, man, I'm just remembering because I don't want to slip into this thing where we're suddenly quoting all the funny bits from the movie, but like, just to the Patty Considine is a great sort of window into the movie because that's where it is. It starts there and it sort of enters you into this world from there and you get the tone right away the phone call he's on and then he has to long story short within the scene he's supposed to have recorded this live uh piece of uh, i think it's mozart uh music 
and he fucked up. So he has to get everybody that was exiting the building back in. And there's just this moment where the comedy really started to lock in for me. The, what you're mm-hmm. talking about, the improv comedy where he's like, he's like, get to your seats, get to your seats, get to your fucking seats. Like he suddenly slips in this very like, yeah, uh, yeah. very uh, totalitarian type of attitude. And then he suddenly just embraces that and just says to the upper balcony, he's like, do not defy me. And it's just like, holy shit, this is funny because, and it's, should I be laughing at this? I guess the movie wants me to, but yet, holy shit, he's using terrible language to boss people around who have every right to leave, you know? And it's, it's a, it is a really great sort of opening for the movie to, to, uh, to give you because so much of it from there on is the real bad people. The, the guys that are up at the top, the fucking old white men at the top in this hierarchy that all they do, and they are not equivalent to the, not literally in age to the boys that are sent off to war that we talked about in Foxtrot, but they basically may as well be in their minds because I think that's a really prescient, potent idea for right now, especially given who our fucking president is, is these are, these are boys in mentality. They're petty. They're yeah. They've gotten, they've gotten everything their whole life. They haven't had to work that maybe they worked hard, maybe, but they've, they had doors open to them their entire life and they didn't, there's just a struggle they have not had to, 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 uh, participate in to get where they did. And you see that reflected in the absurdist, you know, comedy between these guys where they're all vying. It's just this petty competition to see who, who does Stalin like more in the beginning. And as they like race their cars from building to building to try to get there first, or, uh, Steve Buscemi, like breaks down with his wife every morning on the the jokes that Stalin does like versus the ones he doesn't like. So make sure he likes you. And it's like, yeah, this movie's set in 1953, but for one, that wasn't that long ago, which is really a good reminder to say like fucked up shit like this did happen not that long ago. And it, yeah. in some ways still is happening in other places. And yet it's so prescient because <laughs> It's very reflective of our modern times, you know, the not just the absurdity, but even in a specificity to it. And the Russian tie-in, since this is obviously a Soviet story from its past, is like, yeah, it's almost like too eerily spot on. But um, the remove you have from the, the, like you said, the cast just embracing that they're just talking in their normal accents, mm-hmm. I think that really helps. There's some sort of bizarre magic trick that works with that, where it's like, this shouldn't work. But my God, it makes the movie just click along uh, so well, so well. Yeah, there's like there's a level of I think the satire is so potent that, you know, like things calling attention to himself the way like Alex Cox would have anachronisms in Walker where like it's set in the, you know, uh, 19th century and like. Air, like helicopters would fly over and stuff like that. Where it was just like, it's calling attention to itself. And so like not laboring over having uh, accents disguise kind of, you know, like the, like what's Sean Connery subversively did in the hunt for red October. Just yeah. kidding. Um, <laughs> but like, just not focusing on details that will like, you know, help lull you into a trance, but they're like just calling attention to themselves and like in sort of demonstrating like that's not that's not what we're doing, because like as much as this is a description of like a, a bygone era, we're still very much in the middle of these absurd horrors right now. And so it's just like so everybody's talking like they're and they're also talking at a, a clip 
that they most likely didn't at the time. You know what I mean? Like there was, there was just like, there's a, there's a bluntness to it that like probably isn't uh, era specific at all. You know, like <laughs> there's like one line that's not, you know, uh, descriptive of what I'm talking about, but I think it encapsulates everything perfectly uh, where someone says, I've had nightmares that make more sense than this. Yes. And I was just like, <laughs> that, like, that is so beautifully descriptive of the absurdity of this movie, but the absurdity of this time that, like, we're actually in watching this movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's just like, you could, t- you could say that right now about 2018 i've had nightmares that make more sense than this and that's where this movie is so effective because it is a period piece and it's in another uh era another place than the u.s but like that's where that effective satire can just comment so much more strongly than trying to do like the trump story like there's probably gonna be a fucking tv movie that comes out in a couple years where it's like the behind the scenes trump just bullshit like that like maybe that can be done well but like this just seems so much more potent and able to actually entertain and still give you all that other stuff which um i kind of i'm at a slight disadvantage because i haven't read enough about the movie but i i'm i don't know if you know but like it does seem like the death of stalin while being completely anachronistic in dialogue a lot of the time and also just not accurate to like these are english and british actors portraying Russian people beyond that, the basic beats of the history that they're the, the time period I think is mostly like on a surface level. Correct. I think, but I'm not sure if you know. So like, I don't, I, I I'm at a disadvantage. I want to read more about the movie, but it does seem as though he's basically following a slight, like the, the basic beats of the trajectory who was left in the end standing after right. this and who wasn't. And, um, you know, I find that, almost completely original as a movie experience because the first thing I locked into was like, okay, some of the busyness in the frame and there's these long shots kind of reminds me of Wes Anderson, but it's not Wes Anderson. And then the movie itself started to feel like, okay, this feels like an evolution from what Quentin Tarantino did with Inglorious Bastards where, uh, and Death of Stalin starts to feel after a while, like it's that Michael, that Mike Myers scene in Inglorious Bastards, which, for some people, I remember really takes them out of the movie because it's Mike Myers and he's doing a British accent and it's it's the cartoon reality of Inglorious Bastards, like actually fully embracing the cartoon reality that he's portraying. And I feel like Death of Stalin is cast entirely like Mike Myers was in Inglorious Bastards and where Tarantino set off to to sort of rewrite history in his movie world and things the war ends differently in inglorious bastards than it did in real life death of stalin is like the opposite where it it follows the trajectory of history but has the same level of cartoon surrealities like a bizarreness to it where it's not accurate but that's the secret about it. that's what makes it feel so different and original um so i don't know if you were thinking of inglorious bastards at all as you watch the movie and i don't mean to be reductive it's just like I don't know many other movies that work like this. Uh, like mash by Robert Altman is like maybe a sort of comparison, but not at all. Like mash might only be comparable to something like Foxtrot in places, but even that is so yeah, I, I just, I, I, I'm very excited by this movie cause I don't think there are many movies like it. And, uh, I could see it being sort of a spring indie hit for IFC. Uh, 
we'll, we'll see. But um, I do feel like this is one that might actually get some relative attention right now. And at a time where we are desperately, you know, Black Panther and uh, we really liked Annihilation, new movies are coming out in 2018. But now we're the Oscars are done. We can officially move past that, stop talking about the same old movies. And now we have movies like death of Stalin. I feel like it could be one of the early, like indie hits. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for it. I hope people go to see it. Cause it's fucking funny. And it's, it's an original movie. I felt like, yeah, it's a, uh, it's got, you know, I wasn't thinking of Inglorious bastards, but like it's has like the satirical energy of like Mel Brooks movies while feeling wholly its own. And I think that that's, what's like continuously exciting about his projects. And even Christopher Morris, who was his collaborator yes. on, in the loop, you know, who made four lions. Oh, um, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, like their, their sensibility is so kind of like, is so unique, even if it does sort of like, uh, recall, you know, iconic directors, like for you, you know, like just recalling like the, you know, the good parts of, Quentin Tarantino and like taking it in a whole new direction. Like there's a, there's a contemporary grit and clip to it. That's like wholly its own. And, you know, in the loop was nominated for a uh, best screenplay for an Oscar. It didn't win it, but it was like, I think it was after that, that I was like, Oh, it's like, it's that good. I have, I had, hadn't seen it at that point. And then I watched it. And I was like, yes, it is that good. And uh, yeah, the Oscars, uh, provided a service for you they clued you into a movie you might have ignored otherwise that's awesome yeah and so like he's he's just somebody who's like i'm like the in the face of uh frighteningly inarticulate leaders like <laughs> he's one of the kind of entertainers and artists that like i burden with needing to communicate incredibly complicated times try to make them make sense to me even if that sense that they're making is terrifying <laughs> exactly thank you Ianucci, for for giving us a few laughs in the tear you know we, we we need it we need it and not an intended pun using the tear but there it is i keep falling into him today yeah uh <laughs> Ianucci is also responsible i think just lastly here uh for for me anyway is um he created one of my all-time just favorite goofball British TV characters, and now he's a movie character from a few years ago. Is Alan Partridge, uh, the Stephen Coogan character? Did you have you ever seen anything with him? No, I haven't watched that yet. Oh man! So the Alan Partridge movie from a few years ago was actually pretty solid. It's just called Alan Partridge, but his character starts from the early '90s and actually goes back to Ianucci and Chris Morris, who you referenced. Chris Morris was the star and co-creator of this. Um, essentially the British version of the daily show was called the day to day. Uh, and it's only one series long with like seven episodes and it was like 94. So it's, it precedes the daily show and it's fake. Well, it's not fake news. It's news as comedy, uh, mm. where it really just makes fun. And it's, um, even 20 years later, it's fucking hilarious show. And they first introduced the Alan Partridge character in that. And he's just evolved and become famous uh, and I think that was a big part of how Steve Coogan became a star in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm just thankful that they made shit like that. And they, I, I hope Chris Morris gets to do something after four lions. Cause that movie's incredible as well. So um, yeah, I really like these creators and Ianucci. I'm just glad like Veep kind of didn't work out for him. I don't know the whole story, but he left after a couple seasons of Veep. Um, okay. Yeah. He hasn't been the creator working on it anymore since the beginning, but <clears throat> 
just glad to see he got this movie made. And I, I really, he's, he's such a vital voice. And uh, again, I want more original movies and he's making them. So, uh, and intelligent movies, well-spoken characters in these intelligent movies, as you said, that's uh, we could always, we can never have enough of that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, hopefully we did a service to both films and their radically different approaches to dealing with the horrors of, uh, yesterday and today. But, uh, you know, like the, it's, a it was our double feature. So if you, if you're up for two movies in a row, um, you know, maybe chase, uh, Foxtrot with death of Stalin and, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good, good idea. Go in that order. <laughs> the order we spoke, that's how you should see these movies. If you do, Yeah, maybe. All right, man. What do you say? Should we wrap it up? Sounds good. So just chill to the next episode. All right, let's wrap up episode 169 of Adjust Your Tracking. You can find us at theplaylist.net. You can find us and all of our other shows on the podcast network there. And you just got to click on that podcast tab and you'll see them there. You can uh, email us at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com. What about uh, Facebook, Joe? Where can people find us there? look up adjust your tracking find the podcast uh follow us like us um you know you'll you'll find out when episodes drop yep and i'm on i'm on twitter at adjust your track and certainly putting ayt stuff out there but uh also you know blabbing to the world to see who will listen if they if they if they like to so um you know any of that we'd be very thankful if you paid attention if you passed around the show to some friends uh let them know about us spread the word uh, but not as thankful as I am to get to talk with Joe. So thanks for talking with me, buddy. Thanks for listening, Eric. Well, I could do better. <laughs> Utah. Give me two. <laughs> two. Two. Those steak sandwiches looked good. I know you don't think so. but No, I don't. No, it's meatball sandwich. I, yeah. I would have eaten one of those meatball sandwiches with Gary Busey. Ugh, gross. Well, you say gross. One man's gross is another's. Meatball treasure, my friend. I'll be the gross one. I can live with that. Jeez, I, are you're not recording yet, are you? I am totally. <laughs> okay, put All that right. at the end. One man's gross is another man's meatball treasure. <laughs> it's solid gold. <clears throat> All right, enough horsing around here. <laughs>